that we all have doubts, that being a Christian and believer doesn't mean that you never have doubts. In fact, you're not failing in your faith if you have doubts. That's natural, it's normal. And so what we wanted to do here is create a space where we could be honest about what it is that causes us to doubt. We could seek answers. And we could realize that when we say as a church we believe, that doesn't mean that we don't have any doubts. We want to overcome them, but they're there. And so in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the things that most cause us to doubt, the things that most give us pause in our faith. And I've gathered these like just from meeting with Alpha and from being eight years as a pastor. I kind of know what those main doubts are. Maybe if we do this again, I could have y'all submit if there's something I don't cover. But I was always surprised. When I was a young pastor, I never would have thought this would have been a big doubt. Um, maybe because of the family I was raised in. And yet, when I once did a series on what are your questions that you would ask God, I asked this in New Braunfels, this is the question I got most. And that is, actually one little boy put it this way, did Jesus have a dinosaur? I thought that was pretty funny. Did Jesus have a dinosaur? But how do you reconcile faith and science? Because it seems like they're battling, right? So how can you, how, how do I figure out, you know, what the Genesis account says with what science is telling me and do I have to give up one or the other? Is it an either or thing? It causes a lot of people to doubt. Last week, y'all said, when I said, you know, that I had doubts. When did they start? They were, I heard throughout the congregation, college, right? We go to college, we learn all these things and we think, wait a minute, that's not exactly the same as what I learned in school or at church. Okay, so here is the scripture for today. It's from Genesis chapter 1. It's remarkably short, so you might just let me read it to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, so here's the rub. In school, you're going to learn that the earth is 4 billion years old, that before we were here, it was the realm of dinosaurs that were rather million-year recent, you know, a couple million years recent addition to the earth, and I encountered this firsthand when I took Anna up on a trip to Washington, D.C. I had a conference up there, and she went with me with her grandmother, and they went to a lot of museums. And if my conference was over, sometimes I could meet them there. And I was there with them the day they went to the Museum of Natural History. I don't know if y'all have ever been there, but it's the one with the big mammoth in there. And I mean, Anna went through all the ocean rooms, and then she's like, let's go into this room, because she saw all these skulls and bones and things. And that's really cool when you're a little kid. So here are some pictures that I took of her. They were explaining to her, they have these touch and feel tables where you can pick up these ancient artifacts and see how ancient people worked with tools and what they used the tools for and how they ground their food. And so you can tell this was really interesting for Anna. She stayed there a long time. She made crazy faces and it was really funny. But this is actually her camera. And so I let her go through the whole museum and take pictures of what she wanted. And you know what she zeroed in on? This whole museum, the thing that fascinated her the most was this wall of skulls. It was huge. It was four panel wall of skulls all over and it said humanity's family tree. She took all these pictures of these skulls that show the evolution of human beings. She loved that skull wall. Finally, I was like, 10 pictures is enough, baby. We've got enough pictures of the skulls. But I'm kind of glad she took some pictures because I can show them to you now. Because here's the rub. When she comes to church, what's she going to hear? What story will she read? or be read to. Someday in children's church, what will they be talking about? The creation of the earth, right? And what do, especially as we read it as a child, what does it say? Do we know? <laughs> that God created us in how long? 
Six days. Somebody, who said six? Tim was here before. <laughs> it's actually six, right? The seventh is a day of rest. I always think seven too, but it's a week. And so I remember when Ash Wednesday came around and I was talking to y'all about how we were made out of dust. And Anna was just like, Mommy, tell me how God made us out of dust. Like, how did that, we are like this, I mean, whoa, there's a lot of explaining to do there with a little seven-year-old, right? Someday she's going to hear that account, remember these skulls and say, Mommy, which is it? On that day, what do I tell her? That's why we have our doubts, right? Because they don't seem to jive. And so we, we create, and I, I think I'm going to be able to show you all that this tension probably shouldn't be there, but it feels like an either-or choice, right? It feels like I either have to choose my faith or I have to choose science and reason. It's either-or. And there are actually people who line up stridently on both sides of this debate. On the faith side of things are the young earth creationists, faithful people, People in my family who would say, you know what, there were no dinosaurs. The earth was literally created in six 24-hour days. Literally, that's what took, it took God to create the earth. And they would say, you are on dangerous ground if you say that's a metaphor in any way. Because if that's a metaphor, then anything else can be a metaphor. And what they would say is, you know, we're always finding out that we don't know what we thought we knew. And so... The Bible is our best source, not only for religion, but for science, for archaeology, for history. It is all of those things, and put that aside. Now, on the other side of things, on the reason side of things, are faithful believers, too, who feel like we don't need to disregard our minds, right? And feel like maybe that would, you know, we're kind of throwing out some of the reasoning that we've been able to figure out. We were at a, Kevin and I were at a dinner with some retired pastors and some people I don't normally get to talk to. And we're all talking, when pastors get together, they talk about their churches. They, I'm usually celebrating, you've got to hear about my church, it's awesome. You know, but other churches will talk about, well, this is what I'm trying to work on, this is what I'm trying to teach the people. And this one lady, a retired pastor, was saying, you know, I'm working so hard to educate my people on this one thing. Okay, so imagine if your pastor was trying to educate you on one thing, what that would be. So I've got this in my head, what is she going to say? And I said, what are you working on? And and she said, I am just trying to convey to them that the Bible is a group of myths and legends and that it's not supposed to be scientific at all. It's going to teach us about being in relationship with God. And if they could just get into their heads that this is a, this is a book of stories, then they would be so much better off. I was like, oh. <laughs> oh. Kevin was like, oh, okay. Really? Okay, so there are your options. Oh, I don't like either of those. I don't like either of those all the way at all. I think there are good things in both of those. I think it's good to put a high priority on Scripture because it is God-given. I love that, and I don't think we need to throw it away, but at the same time, I like the idea that we might be able to use our use our reasoning that God has given us and figure out the way the world works. And, that, and that's what this lady said. It, you know, we have all these great discoveries and it draws me closer to God, but the thing was she was willing to throw out the Bible to embrace that. And so I couldn't get there either. But neither could I say all the way with science that we are just here by evolutionary chance, that it's just an accident, that it's just a wonderful catastrophe or a fluke in the universe that out of nothing, we came into being. 
Which brings me to the monkeys. Did y'all notice that this sermon was called Soup and Monkeys? Brings me to the monkeys. Have any of y'all heard of the infinite monkey theorem? Infinite monkey theorem. It's the theorem that says if you have, it's trying to explain how beauty can come out of chaos, how meaning can come out of nothing. And it says if you have enough monkeys with typewriters, eventually they're going to produce fine literature. It's a very complicated theorem. And so what I thought I would do is I'd have the immortal Stephen Colbert explain it to you. Heartwarming story in the news this week. Belle, a 17-pound beagle, was honored at the Wireless Foundation Achievement Awards. Very competitive. I've yet to win. Anyway, <laughs> Belle saved her owner's life by dialing 911 on his cell phone. The story made me feel warm inside until I saw how it was handled by my good friends over at Fox and Friends. Take a look at this. The dog called for help by biting down the number nine yeah, sure he on did. the guy's That's cell no phone. This is way. But how many other numbers did the dog bite on before he finally hit Right, if you put a monkey operator. in front of a typewriter, it would, it would type the Bible. What? There's no way you stick a monkey in a typewriter and it, given all the time in the world, it's going to type the Bible. Absolutely, we'll type the Bible. <laughs> Look. A monkey will not type the Bible brown-haired guy who is not Steve Ducey. <laughs> I don't understand why the friendly friends at Fox and Friends would take such a sweet, innocent story about a dog and use it to promote an anti-Christian agenda. And this is anti-Christian, folks. You notice that the brown-haired guy who isn't Steve Ducey didn't say a monkey could type the Koran. <laughs> By the way, I want to be very clear about this. A monkey could not type the Koran. The holy book of Islam, a great and true religion that contains the words of God as revealed to Muhammad. Blessings and peace be upon his name. <laughs> Could I get a lower third that says that, please? I, I, uh, I just don't know how much clearer I can make that. We cool? Okay. But it's okay to say a monkey could type the Bible. Well, luckily, Steve Ducey was standing by to straighten out this mess. Ducey, drop a deuce on him. The exact phrase is, if you put 10,000 monkeys in front of typewriters, eventually one of them will write a Hemingway. Yes. Thank you. Now, some of you are out there saying, uh, Stephen, I thought it was a million monkeys writing Shakespeare. That is also correct. If you're trying to write great literature with monkeys, it breaks down like this. One million monkeys... Typing for eternity will eventually write the complete works of Shakespeare. And like the news said, 10,000 monkeys typing for 10,000 years will give you a Hemingway. But you got to get them drunk first. And 10 monkeys typing over, say, Columbus Day weekend will give you a Dan Brown. Actually, um... Okay, so the infinite monkey theorem, a way to explain how eventually order could come out of chaos, apparently only works if you get them drunk and give them enough time, right? There's another, there's another way, the soup, that I'd like to explain, because we have to think about this. To me, this is where pure science falls apart, is that it postulates that from something very simple, from some primordial goo, we evolved into something very complex, without any intervention, nothing going on there. So here, let me tell you about our human genome. Did you, do you all remember when it was sequenced? 
In 2003, it was this big event. It had been over a decade um, that they'd been working on the human genome sequencing. So bear, bear with me for a little bit here. I've tried to put this into very simple terms so your eyes don't glaze over. But you remember from science that DNA molecules are made up of these twisting strands. Um, they're paired. Each strand is made up of these chemical units called nucleotide bases. You're like, oh my gosh. Just bear with me. Adenine, thymine, you remember these from, remember these from high school? Guanine, cytosine. And so they pair specifically. A always goes to T and G always goes to C. And if you figure out how these base pairs are lined up, there's three billion of them, but if you sequence them, then you have the map of how to make a human being. It's like an Encyclopedia Britannica, basically, okay? Because there's these 23 chromosomes, they're paired, and then you have three billion of these connections, and if you map them all out, you've got us. Guess what I brought today? Soup. Alphabet soup. Look, I've got all the right letters. All the right letters in here. We could even take them out, so it's just the A and the T and the G and the C. And so what I want to know is how long I should cook this before I get part of our genetic code. A billion years? Yeah, okay. Maybe a billion years. <laughs> if you're a monkey. Maybe we need to get a monkey to do this. Maybe some of y'all said after the last service you don't have enough soup. That's true, there's not three billion pairs in here. But what I was thinking was, if we really wanted to do this and we wanted to prove that by chance we could come about, we could use Mac's duck pond. You'd let us do that, right? Mac, the ducks would like swimming in alphabet soup. So how long, if we filled Mac's duck pond, which is right over there, would we just need Mac to stir it until we came out of it? Code for us, for building a human. He's gonna be there a long time, right? I mean, I looked at this today, it doesn't even say a word. I mean, Tim was like, it kind of says love. And I was like, you've got two letters and the E is an F. I mean, like, it just doesn't work. And then if you get, if you say, okay, maybe that could happen if I had a billion years and a lot of monkeys and a lot of soup, then you get back to the question of who made the soup? Who gave the monkeys a typewriter? Eventually, you've got to follow it back and say, so where did it all start? So what if, instead of having the option between it's either our faith or it's our reason, what if we said maybe it could be both? What if we said maybe we feel we have these doubts, we feel this rub because we're not reading the story right, because we're asking something that it wasn't set out to answer? You remember the, the story in the beginning? Um, the Genesis story is very old, thousands of years old, and actually God wasn't writing for, at first to us, to us scientific people, when the Bible was written. The Bible was written to nomadic people um, led by tribal chieftains. It was written where instead of thinking about evolution and instead of thinking about science, they had this idea that the world was created by fighting among the gods. This was the prevailing worldview. So imagine that, fighting among the gods. And the earth was actually created when the goddess who lost her body was torn apart. Tiamat was her name. And people were created to be slaves to work for the gods. And so you had to really try to appease the gods that you were working for. This was their worldview. So y'all, imagine if God would have been like, okay, there are nucleotide bases, follow me here, and they're paired up on strands, and he was explaining DNA to these people. Would that have been life-changing for them? If God started explaining that to you, would that really change your life? God gave us the Bible, the story of creation, how he created the world, 
not to answer how it was done. We get to be part of the ones to figure that out, to discover the intricacies of how God created us. We get to do that. We get to, to learn those things. God wrote and had people write these scriptures, gave them this knowledge to answer a much more fundamental question than how. God was teaching us why. Why we were put here. To these people, God didn't give them a scientific textbook. It would have been thousands of years before anyone could have read it. But God did say there is an order to this world. It is an order I established. If you read the Genesis account, I had a mom come up and say, explain that to me. Explain the order. Because there's a beautiful order in the account. I'd love to share with you. If you want to, just stay after and I'll show you how it breaks down. I had a seminary professor do that and I just was like, it was like this great big sigh of relief. Oh my gosh. That is what it's talking about. It's talking about order. And it's telling us some important things. God is telling us, first of all, that the world is good, right? It wasn't a body of someone torn apart. This was a world created good. And we weren't created to be slaves. We were created to be God's children, that we were created in God's image, that there is something special about us, something that desires to be in relationship with God. And when you look at that order, you know who's at the top of the order? We are. Only God above us. And God says, you, my children, needed to care for this world. Y'all, that is so much more life-giving than the nucleotide bases. Do I think the Bible has stuff to teach us about science? Absolutely. But do I think God set out to write a scientific textbook? No. I think he set out to tell us why we're here. And I want to t share with you one more piece of science that I think pulls this all together for me. I actually had somebody who knew this um, at the first service, but do you know what the second law of thermodynamics is? Does anybody? It says that this is a law of the universe. It says that systems move towards entropy. Does anybody remember what entropy is? Chaos. They're moving towards chaos. Systems. That is a law of the universe. If you want to see this in action, does anybody have a teenager? <laughs> Systems move towards chaos, right? Systems, yeah. Okay, so if your teenager has a room without adult intervention, which way is that baby going? My room went right towards chaos, right? My mom would just tape up the disaster tape if she wasn't intervening constantly. And it's, it starts with younger kids. We can see it in every system. We can see it in our homes. If we don't apply energy, and that's what the theory says, if you don't, or the law says, if you don't apply outside energy to a system, it's going to chaos. We can see that in our homes, okay? If we don't work, those babies are going downhill. That is the law of the universe. And yet, we have evolution just on its own telling us that we, we went from something really simple to really complex, without outside energy. That's where I can't get on board all the way with science. Is that I'd say, you know what, shoot, if God wanted to use evolution, game on, that's awesome. Awesome, but he was using that process. My dad said, well, Laura, God was working really slowly. I said, maybe it wasn't slow to him, you know? I mean, if he wants to work really slow, could we give him that? God could work slowly if he wants. I mean, the neat thing is in the creation account, do y'all remember that Cain, what Cain was afraid of when he killed his brother? He said people were going to kill him. What people? There were other people in the world. Did y'all ever realize that? There were these other people out there in the world. So couldn't it be that God was working with this specific group of people who were different because they had his spirit in them? There's just so much that we could talk about, and we won't. But I think instead of the choice between 
faith or science is not a real choice. I think it can be both. I think as we learn more about science, as we learn more about our world, we can say, man, I never knew God was that wonderful. Every time I learn the way my body fights off illnesses or something, I'm like, man, God is amazing to make me like this. But God was involved. That's what I'd say. And so the reason I called this soup and monkeys is I believe this is the true choice. We either say it's the soup and the monkeys. We are a fluke in the universe. We are here by total accident, by random chance, by unguided natural selection. That is one choice. Or we are here because God gave us a purpose. We are made to be part of God's good earth. We are made to make a real difference in the world, to bring light to the darkness, to be in relationship with him. We have this great purpose and meaning, or we're a cosmic accident. Soup and the monkeys, or faith. Faith guided by our knowledge of science. I know which one I'll choose. Let's pray. God, we pray that as we learn more about our world, as we discover more, that you would help us to see the beautiful intricacy of your plan, um, the time and the care you took to make us, the goodness of this world that you made, how after every day you said, this is good, this is good, this is very good, and help us to, um, to live as people who are willing to see you at work within science. Willing to say, yeah, I think that's right, except for I would also say God's there. Lord, may science not cause us to question you, but like so many scientists before us, may, may science draw us deeper into relationship with you. May we always remember that you give us the great why of life, why we're here, what this world means, and what we mean within it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.